Welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York that believes wherever you are on your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's sermon. Scripture reading this morning comes from John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees has heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and you have to keep coming. Here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans will worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Uh, Much respect to Russell uh, for preaching in front of what feels like the sun, uh, (laughs) blazing into one's eyes. We're going to go straight to Scripture. We're going to be reading from the Scripture that was read this morning. I want to just read it one more time for emphasis and for, to redirect our hearts to it once more. John's Gospel, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, Now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. 
how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I, I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Could I invite us to pray? God, we come before your word in reverence and we come submitting under the power of your word, the weight of your truth, and the revealing of your character to us through your word. Lord Jesus, we pray you would be glorified in our midst. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill this place with your presence and reveal Jesus to us in a fresh and living way. And Father, we thank you for the tangible sense of your love that permeates this very room. Lord, help us to leave this place with more than just information about you. Help us to leave this place with a fresh encounter with you, the living God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard for me to kind of see where everyone's at. Maybe that's on purpose. Maybe uh, a lot of you have jail records or something, and so uh, this just creates a sense of safety. Um, but if I could see, I would love to get a full sense of the answer to this question. So help me out by raising your hand as, as high as you can so I can get a sense. How many people here in this room are not native New Yorkers? Could you just raise your hand real quick? That is a good amount of you. That is awesome. Um, I'm a native New Yorker. I grew up in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, not too far from here. And one of the things I love about na non-native New Yorkers is the expressions that you grow up saying that weren't part of my vernacular. In particular, those from the South. How many Southerners here? All right. And so uh, Southerners taught me a few expressions. One was, I'd rather watch grass grow. That was an amazing expression. 
never grew up saying that. It actually conveys a lot of amazing things. Another friend uh, taught me this expression. He was from North Carolina. He said, that person is as useless as tits on a boar. I was like, whoa, hold up. Hey, man, I'm a young person. That's a lot to process. Explain to me. I don't hang around a lot of boars. And he said, oh, well, a boar, uh, they're... They're, their memories don't produce milk. I said, oh, that's why you're saying they're useless. Um, the best one, the best one for me is they're trying to perfume the pig. Why do I like that one? I like that one because I think it actually captures the heart of religion. Religion, not the gospel, not Jesus, but religion what it is incessantly trying to get you and I to do is to perfume the pig. Religion tries to get us to present to God a more presentable self. Religion tries to get us to believe that if we have our acts together, then God will love us. That if we do X, God owes us Y. That God's not interested in the real us, the broken us, the, the, the damaged us, the non photoshopped Instagram us, but God actually is interested in the version of us that isn't perfumed up. And why I love this story, this text, is because this encounter that Jesus has with this woman from Samaria, she was not given an option, an opportunity to actually try to perfume her life up. Jesus cuts through the noise and insists that she has a real encounter with his real love and that she would come to know that he actually loves and wants to know who she really is to the core. When we unpack this, this moment, it's actually quite profound because one, the text tells us in the very beginning, it says that he had to go through Samaria. You see that language in verse four. Now he had to go through Samaria. Actually, that's not geographically accurate. To get to where he was going, he didn't physically have to go th through Samaria. It's not like if you're on 3rd Avenue and you have to get to 5th Avenue, you have to go through 4th Avenue. This is not what actually is being communicated. It's not that he geographically had to go, it's that he had to go through Samaria because he had to meet with her. Jesus intentionally goes out of his way to meet with this woman from Samaria that at that time, this meeting was the most scandalous thing you could imagine. For Jesus to meet with this woman was quite the ordeal. See, Samaritans by the Jews were held in extreme contempt because the Samaritans were considered to, to be a mixed people, that they had a sense, they were viewed as having mixed purity with respect to their worship. They, they were, were people that they mixed worship with pagan rituals and, and they were not worshiping Jehovah in a pure way according to the Jews. So they were looked at with, with animosity. But on top of that, before this moment, actually if you look at Josephus, the, the ancient historian, there's something that happens right before this moment, more than likely that has intensified the hatred, the animosity toward the Samaritans and that it's been told to us historically that Samaritans desecrated the temple, that they threw bones, human remains, 
at the temple. And so now the Jews are incredibly incensed against them. They, they are fuming at the fact that these people have such a low regard for God. And yet, Scripture tells us Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had to meet with this woman. Now, for some of us, we don't know each other. This is the first time uh, we're in a setting together. And, and I, I think it's important for you to know something about me, and that is that I actually have to remind myself I'm a pastor because at the core of who I am, the reason I'm a pastor is because I had this incredible encounter with Jesus. The reason why I endure pastoring, and, and I say endure even though I love it and it's fruitful and it's amazing, but it's hard work. And so for just a plug that I, I think I wanna say even though it's not part of my notes, pray for your pastors. It's not an easy job. Trust me, we could be doing a lot of other things that would be way easier, that would pay more, that would be less stressful. But why I do what I do despite the heartache and the tension and the difficulty is because at the core, fundamentally, before I'm a pastor, I'm someone that I could relate with this text that I fully agree that Jesus had to come where I was at, that he pursued me. I wasn't looking for God. I had no interest in following him. I was so far from him. The fact that I get to serve him and walk with him is a miracle that never ceases to amaze me. And where God found me was in the most unlikely place. See, I, my very breathing is a miracle to me. I shouldn't be alive. My mother met my father while my father was married to another woman and my sister was born, and it caused a great scandal. And at that moment, my mother tells my father, this relationship is over, this was a mistake, I'm gonna raise my daughter by myself, to which my father replied and said, no, this is over when I say it's over. And he began to break into her apartment and harass her at the end of her work shift, and sure enough, I'm conceived, and at this point, he says, you're not gonna ruin my life again. He takes her to the abortion clinic three times. Each time she lies and says she went through with it. And when he realizes she lies, he would beat her to try to force a miscarriage. And the third time she went to the abortion clinic, a woman stopped her in the parking lot and said, don't abort this child, God has a plan for this child. She wept, got on a plane that day, went to Puerto Rico, gave birth to me. Six months later, my dad passed away, never knew him. Grew up in a single parent home during the crack epidemic of the 80s and 90s. See, it's fun to see so many people that are not native New Yorkers come to Brooklyn. When I was a kid, people were running from Brooklyn. People were fleeing as fast as they could. I remember the day I realized Brooklyn changed and it was about to change even more. I was hanging out in Sunset Park on a Saturday and I saw white people jogging and no one chasing them. I said, whoa! I began to notice Vespas and cupcake shops and a plethora of MacBooks. So this is over. We gotta find a new place to call home. But I'll never forget during that time seeing the most heart-wrenching brokenness you could imagine. I remember the distinct fear at the age of eight, leaving my house thinking I could get stabbed today. 
eight-year-old shouldn't have to have those thoughts. I remember leaving my apartment in, in the in-between hallway that between, be, before you exited the building fully, where there would be people with syringes hanging from their veins. At the age of 14, Jesus arrested my heart. I was on a basketball court hanging out with my friends, getting high, because we actually believed we played better basketball under the influence of weed. It was just a silly notion, but you couldn't tell us otherwise. <laughs> weed and at night when it was not lit, we just thought that's when the real ballers come out. And smoking weed, my friend Frankie comes and begins to talk to me about Jesus. And I was so annoyed that he would mess up my high. So I said, I'm gonna get this church kid high. So I began to blow smoke in his face, the whole conversation. He never left. I think he thoroughly enjoyed telling me about Jesus that day. He said, Sunday, I'm gonna come pick you up to church. Came and brought me to church. I'll never forget that Sunday, being in a setting like this, in a room full of people that didn't just believe in God, but I had the sense they enjoyed him. They knew him. I felt a presence that day that I never felt before. And at the age of 14, September 26, 1994, I declared Jesus the Lord of my life. He had to go through Samaria because he's attracted to our brokenness. He pursues us. His love is a rescuing, pursuing, relentless kind of love. And this woman experiences this in the most profound ways. He had to go, and as he goes, he begins to talk to her about water. This conversation about water wasn't just coincidental. See, for both Jews and Samaritans, water would not just be a substance that we drink. For them, it, it symbolized revelation, insight from a God who washes over us, cleanses us. And so this request for physical water, it facilitates this greater conversation that Jesus has with this woman. And as he asks her for water, something deeper is happening. For one, not only was she a Samaritan, and that was scandalous enough, she was a woman. Now you have to understand, it, it's, it takes some mental gymnastics to get yourself to figure out what it was like at that culture to be a woman. As much as women can feel that they're still disempowered today and still don't enjoy equality, back then, it, it, we can't even fathom. There's actual historical writings of lawyers and judges in their courtroom proceedings that they would say, if three women testify against a man, maybe you should consider the guilt of the man. Three. Five maybe he's pretty guilty. It, the, the regard for women was so low. But in particular, not just was she a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman who was considered impure, who was considered an outcast. And in this culture, it was believed you would become unclean by just mere physical association. If you were touched by something that was, or someone that was considered unclean, you became unclean. Yet Jesus, despite the potential of him being socially ridiculed, says, I have to go. 
and I have to meet with this woman and I have to have this conversation with her. And the, the moment of profound truth was not only is he willing to be seen in public with this Samaritan woman, but he takes it a step further. He says, give me something to drink. At this moment, Jesus is willing to drink from the same cup that she puts her mouth to. Now, I'm a lot of things, but I, I, don't, I don't do well if someone like takes my cup and drinks it and then passes it. I'm like, no, you can have it. You can have it. It's fine. Enjoy it. You clearly wanted it. Enjoy it. Or if some, someone like takes a bite of my food, says, here, have it. Like, oh, here, have the plate. Uh, it, it, are any germaphobes in the house? So my wife is extreme germaphobe. When our kids get sick, I feel like I live in the Center for Disease Control. You know, like it's just fumigating everything and washing everything. This goes beyond germs. This is a social disaster for Jesus. A spiritually crazy act to not only ask her to give him something to drink, but be willing to drink from her cup. Because that cup symbolized way more than something used to drink water. See, we find out that this woman had multiple marriages, five marriages to be exact, and that she's with a man now, but that this man is not her husband. And I'll be honest, when I was a teenager and I first came to Christ and I read this text, not understanding what was happening culturally, from my context, I thought, man, maybe this woman's a little loose. That's a lot of husbands. I thought of some single women, it was like, they can't find a man. She found five, you know? Like, this is intense. And a number six. What's going on? Not knowing culturally, historically, Women didn't have the power to initiate a divorce. So this is not a moment where Jesus is meeting with someone who's just promiscuous and adulterous and breaking marriage covenants just left and right. This is a woman who has been discarded five times, who a man has committed himself to her and said, I'll, I'll care for you, I'll provide for you, I'll cover you, and then just abandons her. And this was not just an emotional abandonment. This meant five times her security, her financial stability, her protection in this violent, driven world was shattered five times. Jesus is telling this woman, I want to drink from your cup. It also says that the time of day she went to go and draw water was not the time of day that most people would draw water. They would draw water in the early parts of the day before the blazing sun would come. But because of that, she chooses to draw water at a time where no one would be at the well. She didn't want to be around people that looked down at her, that whispered about her. Imagine the rumors, the shame that she had to carry. She didn't want to be around people. And I'm sure they didn't want to be around her. And at this moment, Jesus tells her the most profound thing she could ever hear. 
I want to drink from your cup. That act, for the first time, someone is willing to come and enter into her pain. Someone is willing to embrace all the fragility of her life. Someone is willing to get close enough to say, I know you as you really are. See, Jesus cut through it and said it, 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 was a, it was a moment where he wanted to reveal to her how much he knew her so that she would know he's not just asking me for something to drink because he doesn't know who I am. He wanted her to know I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm subjecting myself to public shame, people are going to think things about me, I'm up close, and I want you to give me a cup to drink knowing full well your history. Why do I think that's important for us in this setting this morning? It's because if you and I are not clear that the Jesus of Scripture that we've come to sing and worship this morning is not one that is interested in meeting a false version of you. He has no interest in meeting the resume version of you, the polished version of you, the strengths-based version of you. Because actually, he knows the real you. The you that tastes shame. The you that carries regret. The you that's been abandoned. The form of you that doesn't feel like you'll ever measure up. Like you don't have what it takes. He wants to meet you. And he wants you to know he knows you fully and loves you still. I don't know about you, but that is the most compelling good news I could ever hear because there are people that love me, but they don't know me. They know me from afar. They know me up here. But to know me and love me to know me fully, very few. My wife, we've been married for 12 years. This past July, we celebrated 12 years. We have three amazing children. And she knows me better than anybody. And her love toward me is painful because I know she's loving the real me. The me that other people would say, oh, I'm cutting that guy off. I can't believe he said that, he did that. I thought he was a Christian, he's a pastor. She loves that guy. Not because of what I do, but because of who I am. It's the closest physical human representation of how the love of God meets us. Jesus tells this woman, I want to drink from the cup of your shame, from the cup of your abandonment, from the cup of your pain, from the remorse you feel, from the, the, the victimizing that has happened in your life, from what's been done to you and what you've done to others. I want to drink from that cup. And why is that good news? for all of us in this room. That the, same, the reason why it's good news is because the same Jesus that talks to this woman is talking to us this morning and saying, I want to drink from your cup.
I want to taste your pain. I, I want to enter into your sorrow. I want to meet you as you really are. And what this points ultimately to is that what Jesus has done on our behalf through the cross is that at the cross, he tasted everyone's cup. He tasted the cup of our shame. He tasted the cup of our sin, of our brokenness. He tasted the worst parts of us and he fully tasted it, immersed himself in it. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 21 says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus fully tastes all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our pain. And in that act at the cross, he meets us there as he met this woman at the well. Jesus this morning wants to meet you in the raw places of your life. He wants to meet you in the, in the heart of your battle with addiction. He wants to meet you in your self-hatred. He wants to meet you in the midst of your depression and your anxiety. He wants to meet you in your loneliness. He wants to meet you in, in, in all the raw, unprocessed places of your life. And he wants to love you with an uncomfortable love a love that mentally is hard to process, that you're waiting for him to run. You're waiting for him to say, when you find this out about me, you'll leave me. And he is unflinching, unrelenting, ever present. The cross declares the finality, the strength, the immovability of his love. And today he wants every single one of us to know that that's where he wants to meet us. The real us. Meeting the real Jesus. And being transformed from his grace. Why do I want that for you? As I want it for me. Because I ultimately want it for people that may never step foot in this room. I'm here today because I'm provoked and my heart is moved when I think of people just like me that if someone like you didn't meet me at the basketball court that someone like you didn't come to where I was at the way Jesus came to this woman where he where she was at that I wouldn't know grace I wouldn't know love I wouldn't I would still be steeped in darkness if you're here, if you've tasted this grace, if you claim to follow Jesus and that grace doesn't compel you and, and force you and move you to go to people like this woman that think that God is against them and that God would have nothing to do with them, I would encourage you to drink deeply of his grace yet again. If grace is not moving you outward the way it moved Jesus, then it hasn't really touched the core of our life. But when grace moves you, touches you, transforms you, you go to the highways and the byways to anybody who you possibly can come across to let them know that you found bread and you offer it to them freely the way God has offered it to you. What would it look like if today you and I went from giving a false self to Jesus to actually giving our true self, letting him meet with us as we really are, 
that we might be deeply transformed and go out into the world to all that are broken, that are lost, those that are broken by failure and those that are broken with success and point them to one who has living water. Could I invite us to stand? As the worship team comes forward and, and in a moment we'll have a time to respond in song and receive communion. If you feel comfortable, could I invite you to raise your hands in the presence of God? It's a physical gesture that communicates an inward posture of our hearts. We're saying, God, I'm here to receive from you. I'm not hiding. I'm not holding back. My hands are open. I need what you have to give. And I'm wondering today as we respond as a community, if today there's a reckoning within you that realizes the things that I use to try to quench my thirst are not quenching my thirst at all. That today you realize my job isn't fully satisfying me. My income, my relationships, they end up leaving me thirsty. But today the living Jesus offers you living water that he promises will never leave you thirsty. Jesus, I pray for this amazing community. I ask that this people would drink deeply from your living waters, that throughout this room there would be people, wherever they're at on their journey, that they would come to realize that your love is relentless, it pursues them, you are bent toward them, you desire them, and you are desperate for them to know your grace in full, that you know them fully and yet you still love them. Today would we drink those waters afresh or even drink for the very first time. And God, I pray as a community, let this community be a place where there are springs of living water where the thirsty throughout this city could come and drink waters that will deeply satisfy them. Jesus, meet us even now as you met this woman at the well long ago. May your living presence fill this place. In Jesus' name. Let's respond to God in our hearts. Direct our prayers to him even now as we worship and then partake in communion as a community. To find out more about the mission of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday gatherings, brunch, how to financially contribute, and a whole lot more, check us out online at www.hopebrooklyn.org. Thanks to Liz Vice at lizvice.com for the music and to you for tuning in. See you next week.